If you got your Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be in one verse, Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Um, and the title, as you can see on the screen, is Good and Evil. Good and Evil. Now, let me, first of all, remind you, it's been about three weeks. We had a week break for Christmas, and then I should have been back last week, and I wasn't able to. So it's been three weeks. So I want to remind everybody where we are. We have come to a section of uh, Scripture in Romans 12 where in five short verses, starting with verse 9, Paul gives us 13 very short, very succinct commands or exhortations. And I've just listed them out right there on the screen. Doesn't give us any detail. He doesn't go into a, any kind of long treatise about how to do these things. Um, he just says, do it. Now, the question is, when you have a section of Scripture like that, how do we, how do we read that? How do we, how do we study a section of Scripture with these very, very short commands. Well, one thing we're not going to do is just fly by at 500 miles an hour. Um, I was thinking on the way over, I, we've already covered one of them. I've got 12 to go. So if I, did, if I did each one, if I gave it four minutes, I could do them all tonight. Is that what we should do? No, that makes no sense at all, right? I mean, the, uh, we want the word to change us, right? Well, if just given four minutes and just moving on, yeah, you can get through a lot of scripture, but it's, that's not what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to land the plane, right? We're going to stop. We're going to get out. We're going to walk into that orange grove. We're going to eat. We're going to taste. We're going to let it get down inside of us and, and do, its, uh, do its work. Because as I said, the whole point of the word, listen, the word is a wonderful thing. But you can study the Word and read the Word and memorize the Word and meditate on the Word. But apart from the Holy Spirit, it will do you absolutely no good whatsoever. None. You have to, what the Holy Spirit does is He takes that Word and He uses it to change us and transform us. Our job then is to study the Word. It's to read the Word. It's to think about the Word. It's to meditate on the Word. It's the Holy Spirit's job then to use that to transform us. So we're going to do our part in taking our time as we walk through these sets of scriptures. So we come back to Romans 12, 9. Now, three weeks ago when we were last together, we covered the first command, which was let love be genuine. Tonight, we're going to cover two more, okay, because they kind of go together. Paul says this, abhor or hate what is evil and cling to or hold fast to what is um, good. Now, I was thinking about this the other day. Most of you here have been reading the Bible or you've been around church for a, for a long, long time. But have you ever thought, what if somebody came up to you one day and said, hey, I've never read the Bible. I've never opened it. I don't know anything about it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start tomorrow and I'm going to go in and I'm going to read through the whole Bible. What do you think I will find in there that will surprise me the most? You ever thought about that? It, it's hard for us to get into that mindset because we know so much about the Bible. But for someone who has never read it, what do you think in that Bible would surprise them the most? There's a lot of things. Uh, I picked out two of them. The first one I think that they'll surprise them the most is the gospel. Just how to be saved. You see, you go to every man-made religion or you read any man-made holy book and they all say the same thing. You can do it. Every single one of them, you can do it. 
just pray enough or, or, or do these rituals or, 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 or do whatever. And then you open the Bible and it says you can't ever do enough. Only He can do it. And that's a hard thing for people to accept. That's surprising. In fact, I can take you to churches in this county that will teach you that uh, you are saved by grace, but after you're saved, it's your job to hold on to it. That's not scriptural. I can't hold on to anything. It's Him. It's by grace. He's the one that saves. He's the one that guards. He's the one that keeps. He's the one that guarantees. So I think the gospel in itself, how to be saved, is the first thing that would surprise people. But I think the second thing that would shock people is the Bible's definition of good and evil. In fact, I'm going to probably say some things here tonight that you will find very hard to accept. That's how far the Bible's definition of things are from our human thinking and feelings. We've just got this idea. If I went around and I said, do you know what good and evil is? Probably everybody here would say, oh, yeah, sure. I know what good and evil is. But what we find is when we read the Bible is that a lot of times that definition of what the Bible says good and evil is is far, far away from what our definition is. But that's what we're going to look at tonight. Now, I'm going to cover four things about good and evil, four things that we want to talk about or we want to think about. And here's the first one, and that's this. God defines what is good and what is evil, not us. Okay? Let me say that again. God defines what is good and evil, not us. Now, as I said, it is human nature for us to define good and evil on our own terms. But as Christians, we cannot do that. We have to be very, very careful that we turn to Scripture and let Scripture define what is good and evil. Because if we don't, we can find ourselves very quickly going places that we don't need to go. So we have to focus and believe that if God says this is good, then it's good. If God says this is evil, then it's evil. It doesn't matter what I think. It's what Scripture thinks. So we need to be very careful about that. So let's start with a definition or, or, or start talking a little bit about what is evil. Um, well, let me say, first of all, that evil is a function of willing, okay? If there's no will or no volition or no choice, there's no evil. A few weeks ago, a, a tornado hit Kentucky. Y'all remember when all that happened and it killed all them people and destroyed all the homes and buildings? Nobody called the tornado evil, did they? We don't call a hurricane, that was an evil hurricane, or that was an evil tornado. We don't, we don't do that. Why? Because there's no will, there's no volition. The, the, the tornado is not choosing maliciously to hurt anybody. It's just being a tornado, right? So we don't call it evil. That's why we don't call animals evil. We, we may say that's a bad dog, but we don't call dogs evil. Right? Because they're not, they may be hurting people because of, they've been abused or they may be hurting people because uh, it's been bred into them. But they're not maliciously thinking, man, I want to hurt that person. There's, there's no will, there's no volition. So we don't call things like that evil. It, it, evil can only be when somebody has a choice to do something. So that's the first thing we know about it. Here's what evil is. Evil is a willful act of preferring. Okay? The core essence of evil, according to Scripture, 
is preferring anything more than God. Okay? Preferring anything more than God. Let me give you a scripture. Jeremiah 2.13. God said this, For my people have committed two evils. Okay? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here you have people who God is saying, I'm a fountain. Come to me for the living water. And they forsake that fountain and they hew out cisterns and they go try to satisfy themselves at other places. They can come back to this fountain anytime they want and drink. But they say, no, we don't want the fountain. We want something else. Something else to satisfy us. God says that is evil. That is evil. Now, if that is evil, preferring anything other than God, then what is good? Well, good would be the exact opposite. It would be preferring God over other things. It's a willful choice, a choice or an act to choose God and His ways as supremely valuable in everything else as secondary. Okay? Now, why is this so important for you and I to understand. Here's why. Because so many of us have family or friends or acquaintances that you would probably look at them and say, that, that's a good person. How many of y'all ever said something like that? They're good people. You've heard that, right? They're good people. They pay their taxes. They're, they're, they're faithful to their marriages. They, they obey the laws. They're, maybe they have good conservative values. They're patriotic. And we look at them and say they're good people, yet you know that they're not Christians. You know they're not a Christian. They, they have no love for Jesus in their life. They may have attended church at one point. Maybe they attend church periodically. But you know, looking at their life, that Jesus is not primary in their life. Are you with me? Okay. But we say they're good people. We judge them that way as good because of their outward adherence to some set of moral standards or some set of moral behavior. But are they really good? The Bible's answer to that is no. No, they're not good. Okay? You see, if you are not a Christian, then you have preferred something else before God. And that is the very definition of evil. You have forsaken Him. You have, you have hewed out cisterns to try and satisfy yourselves at other sources. Through your job, through your family, through your country, through your hobbies, through money, through drugs, through alcohol, through anything other than God. And God says that's the very definition of evil, according to the Scripture. Let me just give you a couple of reminders about people who are not believers. This is what the Bible... Now, by the way, we were all here at one point. This was, a, this was all of us at one point. But this is the Bible's description of people who are not believers. Number one, they were born spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were gratifying the cravings of your sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, you are by nature an object of wrath. That is a description of everyone that comes into this world. The only way you are 
get out of that is to be changed into a new, a new creature, to be transformed uh, or from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But if you're not a Christian, that's still the definition of someone who is an unbeliever. So they are born spiritually dead. They cannot in any way please God. Romans 3.10 says, There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. Hebrews 11.6, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So you got people that, that on the outside, they look like good moral people. They pay their taxes. They're patriotic. They, they love their children. They all that. And you say they're good people. And, and God's sitting over here saying, there's nothing you can do to ever please me because you don't believe in me. You don't have faith. The third thing, their good is nothing before God. Isaiah 64, 6, we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness, the very best works we can do in this life is like filthy rags before him. In John 8, 44, Jesus said this. He looked at a group of men and he said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the best of the best. He was talking to the most religious people in the country. The people that paid their tithes and went to church every Sunday and followed all the rules. And he said, you are of your father, the devil. Because you're doing what he wants you to do. You're doing what you want to do. In Matthew 5, 20, Jesus said this to the disciples. I tell you, unless your righteousness, unless your goodness exceeds that of those scribes and Pharisees, you cannot get in to the kingdom of God. Now, that had to shock them, right? Because they, they looked at them as the righteous of the righteous. And he said, no, unless you're better than them, you cannot get into the kingdom of heaven. You see, the fact is you can look all around this earth and you can find the best of any man and the best of any woman and they are absolutely filthy before God. There's nothing in them that God that was, God says, wow, that is a great person. Nothing good before him. You see, the fact is that there are people that outwardly adhere to what we might even call godly standards more than others, like the Pharisees. People looked at them and they would have said, man, that's a godly man. He goes to church, he pays his tithes, he follows all, all the laws. That he's a godly man. And, and, and Jesus said, no, they on the outside, they're all painted up and pretty. But on the inside, they're full of dead people's bones. See, they obeyed the rules, but their heart was far from him. See, what we consider good in this world many times is nothing more than outward behavior that is the result of factors that influence our lives, our upbringing, our teaching, our personality. Listen, I was raised in a, by a godly family, godly mother and father. I was raised up to, to obey the rules and pay your taxes and be a good father. I learned how to be a good father by watching my father. I learned how to be a good husband by watching my dad. If, if Christ had never come into my life, I would have probably been a pretty good person. Are you with me? Just because that's how I was raised. I didn't know anything other than what was modeled for me in my home. I, would have, I doubt I would have been out, you know. Are you with me? Right. 
that my, you would have looked at me and said, he's a good man, but the goodness in me is just a result of my upbringing. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with Christ. That's a lot of what we see in people that we say, well, they're good. That's just the way they were raised. And some people have got a personality just to follow the rules, and other people have got a personality to rebel. Some people's personality just... It has nothing to do with Christ or with, with God. You see, when you open the Bible and you really begin to think, what is good? What you find out is that only works done in Christ are considered good to the Father. In Luke 18, a certain ruler came to Jesus and he asked him, he said, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now that is an incredible statement. That says goodness begins with God. Outside of Him, don't even talk about it. There's no discussion to be had. Goodness begins only with God. John 6, 28-29, these men came to Jesus and said, What do we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is where it all, this is the work of God, that you believe on the one whom he sent. See, you can go over here and you can do all these works and, and, I, and you're, just, you're just blowing smoke. Good works begin first and foremost with a belief in Jesus Christ. Anything outside of that is no good at all. You're just, you're just, you're just, you're just beating the air. You're doing absolutely nothing. Ephesians 2.10 Listen to what he, Paul says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? So you can't do good works until you're a new creation. That's why you are a new creation, is for good works. You can't do anything without being in Christ, without being a believer, without having the Holy Spirit in you, without being regenerated, without being born again. You see, works are truly good when they spring from a principle of a love to God, and they have the glory of God as their object. See, two women, and I've used this before, two women can be at a, at a homeless shelter, and they're working in the kitchen, and they're, they're, they're preparing food, right? They're both doing the very same thing, but they've got different motivations. One woman is there because it just makes her feel good. One woman is there because it's, it's a good work that's going to try to get her into heaven. The other one is there because, man, she just loves Jesus. She just wants to serve people and help people because Jesus pulled her out of the miry clay. See, one woman is doing it for Christ. The other one is doing it for herself. One woman's work is good. The other woman's work is evil. And they're doing the exact same thing. See, works can't be good unless they spring from a love for God and they have their motivation as the glory of God. Of God. In other words, our work is good when our reason for doing something isn't to satisfy ourselves, isn't to make ourselves look good. It doesn't spring from anything inside of us. Our motivation comes from a love for God and a desire to please Him. Again, two women, same work. One's good, one is evil. And that's sometimes hard for us to understand. We think about evil and we think about some criminal and doing some kind, of, some kind of terrible thing. But the Bible says, no, no good doesn't even start until you know Christ. 
Everything you're doing, you're cho- if you're doing it apart from Christ, you're choosing, you're forsaking God, and you're choosing something else to satisfy you. And that is the very definition of evil. So God defines that, not us. Number two, there is such a thing as objective good and evil outside of myself. Notice what Paul says. Abhor what, say it with me, is evil. Cling to or hold fast to what is good. See, what Paul is is rejecting any notion that evil is defined by what I hate or by what I love. He's rejecting that. No, he says you hate what is evil and you love what is good. There is evil and there is good. It has nothing to do with what you think about it or how you feel about it. So it's not something, how many people, and I've seen this, I know Pastor Henry has, people think something's right because they feel like it's right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my husband. Why? Well, I just, I prayed about it and I, I feel like it's the right thing to do. I feel, I feel, I think. It's not right because it makes you feel good. And by the way, it's not wrong because it makes you feel bad. See, evil and good are objectives. They are defined by Scripture, not by our feelings and by our emotions. In other words, good and evil are a reality unto themselves. They exist outside of us. They just are, and we have to be able to recognize. By the way, this is so simple, and it should be so obvious, yet the rejection of this is what's got this world in an absolute mess. Okay? Let me give you, let's play a little game here. Have you ever thought, what if there was no Bible? What what if in our society there was no standard of right or wrong? There's no scripture. What, What would be the implications of living in a culture or a society that doesn't have a standard of right and wrong? Okay? Are you with me? Just Let's just, for a minute, let's just take the Bible out. So all of these questions we have, is it wrong to steal? You can't go to the Bible. It's not there anymore. Is it wrong to murder, to commit adultery, to lie, to, to hate, to not forgive, to gossip, to slander, to cheat, to lust? All of those things we go to the Bible, and it, and it tells us what's right and wrong. But let's just say that that's no longer there. We now live in a society or a culture where there is no Scripture, there is no Word of God. What in the world is going to determine what's right and wrong? Well, there's only one thing, and that's us. That's culture, that's society. We just decide as a culture what's right and what's wrong. By the way, that's exactly what's going on outside these doors right now. When I first taught this lesson many years ago... Um, the, the, the subject of, of marriage, and specifically gay marriage, was a big subject at the time. And I use this as an example. I remember I used to work with a girl, and we'd have this... Uh, this was my reasoning to her. She, she could not understand why I was against gay marriage, and if two people loved each other, you should just let them be together. And this is the argument that I used for her. So, I'll tell you this. So, let's set the Bible aside. This is... Uh, What's this guy's name? Bill Nelson. Y'all remember Bill Nelson, state senator? So for years and years, he was against uh, gay marriage, and then he flipped. And this was his reasoning why, okay? He said this, simply put, 
If the Lord made homosexuals as well as heterosexuals, why should I discriminate against their civil marriage? I shouldn't and I won't. So notice he's saying, man, the Lord made them, that he made them who they are, then I guess, I, I mean, I shouldn't discriminate. Okay, that's his reasoning, right or wrong, that's his reasoning. There was another group of clergy in California, and they came out with a statement. And this was their reasoning for supporting gay marriage. They said this, it is morally wrong to prevent two committed adults from marrying each other just because they are of the same sex. So that was their reasoning. Everybody with me? Okay? Not, they're not looking at Scripture anymore. They've already set that aside. This is their reasoning. And then finally, a guy by the name of Rob Bell said this. This is the world we're living in, and we need to affirm people wherever they are. So those are three different reasonings for supporting gay marriage. Now, here's the thing. For thousands of years, literally, marriage has been between a man and a woman. Okay? Thousands of years, our culture has affirmed that. Now, here we are today in 2022, marriage is now between a man and a woman, a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. That The Supreme Court has made that legal. Now, what about the other things? What about polygamy? What about a man and multiple women or women and multiple men? What about marriage between a brother and sister? What about a father and daughter or a mother and son? Let, let's say, for example, what if you went into a coma? Let's just say we all been a some kind of mass accident and we all went in a coma for 20 years, okay? And we wake up 20 years from now and guess what? Uh, polygamy is now legal. The Supreme Court said it's perfectly fine. Not only is polygamy now legal, pedophilia is legal. The culture has decided, you know what? They're just born that way. What can you do? And they legalized it. And by the way, incest is now legal. So mothers can marry their sons and, and fathers can marry their daughters. It's all legal. Okay? I want you to go back and I want you to read those statements again. This was Bill Nelson. Remember what his reason said. He said, simply put, if the Lord made homosexuals as well as heterosexuals, well, by the way, you could plug in pedophiles and incestors and polygamists. You could just plug that right in, couldn't you? If, if he made them, he made homosexuals, so he must have made all these other people. What can I do? You see, culture can... The same thing that it's done today, it can do way further than you think it'll ever go. Trust me. And it's heading that way, because once you step down the slippery slope, it's, it's just a matter of time. How about the next one, about that group of cl clergy who said it's morally wrong to prevent two committed adults? Well, why would it be morally wrong to, commit, uh, to prevent four committed adults, or six committed adults, or eight committed adults? If that's your reasoning, you could just plug in any number you want. See, that's what happens when you don't have a standard of good and evil. You just let culture, or as, as uh, you know, 20 years from now, whatever's going on, Rob Bell would say, well, this is just the culture we live in, just the world we live in, man. We just got to accept people where they are. Proverbs 14, 12 said this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. It is death. Absolute. Who decides what is good and what is evil? Who decides what is right and what is wrong? Is it our culture? Is it our society? Or is it the holy word of God?
right? Now, we know the answer to that. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's the whole point of the Word of God is to give us a standard, uh, uh, an anchor in the storm, if you will, that we know this is what, it's not what I feel. It's not what my teacher tells me. It's not what my president tells me. It's not what my Supreme Court tells me. It's what my God tells me. Without that anchor, we are lost. We are in chaos. And that is exactly what is going on in this country. See, if there's no God and there's no scripture, then good and evil, it just changes in the eye of the beholder. Things you think are wrong today, ten years from now, you may see them as perfectly fine. And you feel good about them, right? But see, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Good and evil are a reality in, unto themselves. And we find that in his word. First Peter 3, and here's what, I want to bring this up for us as a church. First Peter 3, 15. Peter talks about the household of God, by the way, which is us, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Do you know what, a, everybody knows what a pillar is, right? It's what holds up the building. A buttress is, is a thing that comes off a wall like this. It holds up a wall. Peter says that you and I are a buttress of the truth. This is the truth. You and I are holding it up. That's our job as a church, as a people, as the family of God. This is the truth. We're the pillars. We hold up the truth. We don't let it fall. We don't let it crumble in our society. We hold it up for everyone to see. Listen, I don't care if it's the simplest peasant in Russia or a Jew in Germany or, or a Christian prisoner back in Rome, or you and I, we can say to the most powerful people in the world, to Hitler, to Stalin, to Caesar, to President Biden, or to our Supreme Court, we can say, no, that is wrong. I don't care what your laws say. The Bible says that is evil. That's our job, folks. We can't shy away from that. If we don't say it, Who's going to hear it? That's one of the reasons they want to shut you down. You do understand that, right? Because you are the voice that's sitting there saying, no, no, there's a judgment coming. There's a God. They don't want to hear that. We have to be faithful to the truth. Not just the pastors and the teachers that stand up here and teach, but you in your family and in your home and in your school and, and wherever the case may be. In fact, let me say this. My whole point here is good and evil exist out of what we think or feel. It exists objectively in the Word of God. Are you teaching this to your children and your grandchildren? Are you teaching them that? See, probably the, the thing is most of us just take it for granted and we don't think about teaching it to our children because it's so obvious to us. But let me, I, I want to make sure you understand, our culture is teaching them every single day that there is no such thing as good and evil. That it's all about what, whatever feels good to you, you do it. Whoever you are, you be that person, right? There's a, a song by Lady Gaga I used in the youth a while back when I taught this lesson. She said this, I'm beautiful in my way. 
because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track. I was born this way. Culture is teaching them that every single day. They're learning it in books. They're learning it in movies. They're learning it from TV. They're learning it from songs. They're learning it from, from uh, uh, teachers at school. Who is going to teach them that there is a standard of right and wrong? And that is the Word of God. That is our job, and it begins in the home. There is no greater gift we can give to our children or our grandchildren to teach them the simple, straightforward teachings of the Bible. There's no greater legacy that you can leave. Number three, this is an, an incredible thing. It turns out that just choosing good is not enough. God wants you to feel it. He wants it to be down deep inside of you. Notice the words he uses. Abhor. That, that word means hate with a passion what is evil. And hold fast to what is, what is good. Abhor, I looked it up. The word means hate, loathe, be disgusted by. He, he wants us to see evil things and that those things disgust us. That's that. I mean, this is, he's talking about emotion here. It, it's an interesting thing. Hold fast to what is good. That word, kolomonomy, means to glue or to unite, embrace or love. By the way, it is the exact same word used in 1 Corinthians 6.16 when Paul says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? That's the exact same word. Cling to. It's got this idea of gluing to one another. Glue yourself. Cling to. Hold fast with everything that you have to what is good. In other words, God is not interested in willpower religion. I said it a couple weeks ago, I think. God's not interested in putting lipstick on a pig. That, that's, that, that does not interest Him at all. He's not interested in a people that just choose good out of a sense of duty. He, he doesn't want that. Just choosing is not enough. Why? Because just choosing doesn't signal that you've, uh, that you've encountered a deep transformation. See, even hypocrites can change the outside. Even hypocrites can change the outside. God doesn't want hypocrites. He wants people that hate evil, not just by their actions, but they hate it inside. It, despise, it, it disgusts them. They despise it. And they absolutely love what is good. That's the kind of people he wants us to be. So again, he's not just saying choose good and don't choose evil. He's saying hate evil and absolutely cling to or, or love what is good. By the way, you and I, we've said it often, you cannot make that happen. That is, a, that is a work of the Holy Spirit that He does inside of us. Ezekiel 36, God says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll remove that heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. Okay? See, when Christ gives us that new heart, when He transforms us, it, these things just, we just start to walk the way, not just walk the way He walks, but begin to feel the way He feels about things. I mean, we, what does the Bible say? We have the what? The mind of Christ 
We think the way he thinks. We feel the way he feels. So Christian living is not mere choosing. It's choosing with intensity. It's choosing with emotion. It's feeling these things. Number four, and I'll close with this. Genuine love must hate that which is evil. Genuine love must hate that which is evil. You got to understand, and I know this is some hard, this is a, a difficult road to walk because we all have friends that we look at them and we may love them. We have family that we love, but yet they are not walking in the ways of the Lord. It is not up to us to decide what is good for people and what is bad for people and then define love that way, okay? God decides what's good and God decides what's bad. We follow that and call it love. You see, if two men want to get married in your family, um, maybe you got a brother or maybe you got a cousin or somebody... You know, it's, it's a difficult thing. But love, to really love somebody, is, is to stand up for God's principles and God's ways and say that is wrong. That's true love. That's what love really is. If God, if God says, look, that thing is going to hurt them, that thing is going to destroy them, then how can you really love them if you don't stand against that thing? That's going to kill them and destroy them. See, that's why genuine love has to feel a hatred for evil. Because evil, as defined by Scripture, hurts God. It dishonors God and it destroys people. Therefore, you cannot claim to love someone while coddling evil in their life. By the way, you can't claim to... We can't coddle evil in our own lives either. It's not just looking for it in other people's lives. We can't coddle it in our own lives as well. This is an important lesson. Again, I've said a few things here tonight that, that maybe you find hard to accept. Um, but I, wanna, I did it for two reasons, and I spent time on this for two reasons. Number one, I think when you... I was thinking about this the other day. What is the biggest thing that we have to overcome in this society in order to get somebody to accept Christ? What's the biggest hurdle in our, in our, in our way for family or friends or co-workers to get them to accept Christ. This is the biggest hurdle right here. They think I'm a good person. That's the biggest hurdle. You go in and saying you're a sinner. You're, you, you, there's judgment. And they're looking at you like you're crazy. Man, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I heard a guy say this the other day. If I, if I, if I, it was on, it was on a, an interview on TV. And he said this, he said, I've never done one thing in my life to deserve hell. That came out of his mouth. He was like an 80-year-old man. I've never done one thing in my life to deserve hell. He said that. Came out of, in his mind, he's a good person. I'm a good person. And one day I'm going to get up there to heaven and, and yeah, I probably ain't been perfect, but I'm good enough, he's going to let me in. They have no clue what the gospel is all about. No clue. See, that's up to you and I to get past that. But how can we get past that, I'm a good person, if we don't understand what good is and what evil is according to Scripture? We have to understand it for ourselves in order to witness. There's a guy on uh, YouTube, uh, man, I can't remember his name, but he goes around witnessing to people. Anybody know who I'm talking about? He's an Australian guy. Ray Comfort, Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort. yeah. Look up Ray Comfort. He's awesome. He just walks up to people. 
anywhere, anytime, any place, sticks a mic in there, right? Just sticks a mic and says, you know. But here's here. This is often what he'll say. He starts talking to them, and if they ever say, "I'm a good person," he'll say something like this. Okay, well, let me can I ask you a few questions. They'll say, "Yeah." He said, uh, "Have you ever stolen anything?" Well, yeah. Well, you know the commandment says, "Thou shalt not steal." Have you ever um, have you ever lusted after a woman? He'll ask a man, and the guy'll say, "Well, yeah." And he'll say, "Well, you know the commandment. Jesus said that's the same as committing." Uh, adultery. Have you ever told a lie in your life? And uh, the guy will say, well, yeah, I have. And he'll say, well, have you, ever, have you ever hated someone? And the guy will say, yeah, I have. And he'll say, well, that's the same as murder. So he says, what you're saying is you're a lying, thieving, adulterous murderer, right? And you think God's going to let you in? But it's kind of funny, but his whole point is he's trying to get past, I'm a good person. And that's what you and I have to be able to do with our friends and our family is understand what Scripture teaches about good and evil so that we can talk to them about... That's not what Scripture says, right? Scripture says that without faith it's impossible to please Him. Scripture says that apart from Christ you are a child of wrath. Scripture says, Scripture says, Scripture says. So keep that in mind as you go through this year in 2022. If you've got friends, if you've got family that think they're good people, and from the outside, according to our culture, they are, but you know, you know they don't know Christ. Now's the time. Now's the time. There is no tomorrow. I mean, who knows, right? Time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for these commands that Paul has given us. We know they're short. And Father, we just want to take our time and, and learn from them as we go through. I ask you, Lord, tonight through the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about the difference between good and evil, I just pray, Lord, that you would let these scriptures that we've learned just settle down deep inside of us, that you would give us as Christians a deeper understanding that good begins with you and not before that. Outside of you, there is no good. There's only evil. And God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the, 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 even to now in this world that you're giving us good gifts and you're giving us blessings and you're holding back the darkness or how dark it could be. I thank you for that, God. But Father, that doesn't change the fact that we have a truth and a message to carry to our friends and neighbors and family. Help us, give us boldness this year to let somehow, give us opportunities, give us chances, give us a, a, a time, a place where we have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I ask you even now to bless those opportunities in Jesus' name, amen.